Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number 17 of Cardboard Time. My name is Arwen. This is Justin. And Justin, we were able to get back to the table again, which is in awesome. Person. In yeah. person. Uh, we we are slowly kind of phasing out this virtual thing. I think virtual gaming is going to be here to stay, though, because we can cram in just a little bit more that way. Exactly. Yeah, there's not the logistics that we have to deal with. Logistics like driving a car. <laughs> driving a car 20 minutes. What a hassle. What a pain. Ugh. Oh my god, I gotta drive 25 minutes to get to your to, house? I don't to go like see this. Arwen. Ugh. Oh my god. And then having to physically set up the game and everything else. I mean, there's still some commonalities that you have people, between... People are gonna have to learn not to flip the table in real life. That's very true. It's very easy to do in a tabletop sim. It's, it's very, very easy to forget to disable it. <laughs> yes, yes. But it's it's much harder to do when you're actually at a table. I've tried. Although a lot a lot of my strength is gone lately, so You're just getting too you're getting too heavy of tables. We just gotta play on good old fashioned card tables. Yeah, that's very true. We should so. do that in cheap twenty dollar target tables. Since we got together, we both got to try my beer of the day, of the week, of the bye we did. week. Would, would you like to start with yours? Yeah. So I got Laser Snake from Three Floyds. I got it for the can because the can is amazing. And my dad will probably art it somehow. So as, as he does. As he is wont to do, yes. Variously referred to as either an India Pale Ale or an Indiana Pale Ale. I'm not sure which. But, um, so I guess that means I'm back on IPAs, huh? That didn't take long. Yeah, sorry, not too wowed with it. Maybe it's a little too sweet. I don't know. Uh, maybe on the other hand, 7% at 11 in the morning is too much for me anymore. I don't know. But what about you? You want to give a little thought on it? You you ranked it higher than me, so. I, I liked it. Although I am a fan of sweeter beers, I find as time goes on, I do like a little bit of sweetness. That's not to say that Everything has to be ridiculously sweet, but I, I've been kind of developing a sweet tooth lately. I did like it. I, again, Three Floyds, just about anything that they have is going to have amazing artwork on the can, which is <laughs> something that usually goes and influences my purchasing decisions more often than not. Yes. But the, the taste of the beer itself was good. I, I enjoyed it. I mean, it wasn't the best, but... It wasn't it was, the worst oh, it was, either. It was all right, but I wasn't wowed. I, for mm -hmm. three Floyds, I was really hoping for something top tier. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Space Station Middle Finger is where it's at. <laughs> that was that is a, That is a good beer. So, speaking of sweet beers, I see what mm -hmm. you got written here. doesn't even sound like a beer. Let's hear it. Well, we actually went up to go visit our friends up in Sandusky, and we like this place called the Small City Tap House. It's a uh, Vietnamese restaurant and tap house, as indicated by the name. And they have about 50 different beers on tap or so, and they're starting to get into their own stuff. Uh, but I had the Moby Thick with three C's. By Hidden Springs Ale Works in Tampa, Florida. That was a 13% beer. So you talked about your seven. My. This was 13%. Did you um, have this in one of those giant crowlers, by the way? I did not, no. Oh, okay. Thank goodness, because I should have been there to help you otherwise. 
<laughs> no, this was this was legitimately going up there and having a sample poured for me. I had a flight, and that was part of it. It was very thick. I mean, it was very, very, very thick to pour, so you could definitely taste it. It, it, was, it was very almondy, coconutty, and chocolatey, so it was... And, and I've seen it described this way, too, on Untapped, uh, very much reminiscent of a liquid Almond Joy bar. I enjoyed it, and I see your I comments. I would probably not. <laughs> I see your comment on the show I notes. T- I, yeah, yeah. It doesn't, that doesn't sound like a beer to me. I don't care what it was. It was delicious. Um, I think I gave it a 4.25 or a 4.5, which... I, I really enjoyed it. I would definitely go back and get another one. Based on your description, anyone should be able to know if they would love it or hate it. <laughs> exactly. I mainly got it for the name itself because I had to. How do you see Moby Thick more, with three more, C's more on the menu Yeah. and not get the meme beer? I feel like yeah. that's a prerogative of just about every single brewery out there is to make meme beers because that's what we would that's do. That's what we would be doing. Yeah, exactly. Just a side note, I have been looking uh, for a beer from Holland. We did have a listener write in and say that uh, she does listen to the show. She mentions the beer of the day to her husband. They are in Holland, which is really cool to have listeners from Holland. Um, So I've been kind of on a journey to find some beer from Holland other than Heineken because that seems like cheating. Yeah. Um, Yeah. and, And Amstel we have over here as well, which... I, I enjoy, but that also kind of seems like cheating. I don't know. Uh, La Trap is actually from over there, and I do want to get my hands on I that because that's I've a, had that long ago. Yep, that's a uh, series of Belgian style beers, and they have a triple and a quad, which is very relevant to my interests. So I, I feel like I've mentioned this before, and I hopefully not on the show, but I'm wondering, because we've had so much trouble finding foreign beers, if the craft industry has kind of pushed all the imports aside, aside from your, you know, typical Stella and and whatnot. So yeah, yeah, the mass it's, market it's, ones. It's been really hard for us. So, you know what, I if she's listening, I might say, turn this on the head and say, can you tell us some of your husband's favorite beers from Holland? And maybe we can figure out how to find them. Yeah, because she was, I would enjoy she that. Would... I love I love European beer. Mm-hmm. And so it would be fantastic for us to be looking for. She was definitely going to ask. So I'm hoping to get some feedback with that as well. So, yeah, we're, we're on the search. Hopefully in an upcoming episode, you know, uh, maybe not next week, but a couple weeks from now, we'll be able to... Uh, have some beer from Holland Maybe. to enjoy. Maybe. No guarantees. We'll I've got a source. I got a oh, source. Okay. All right. So we'll see. Well, now's the time in the show that we check the shelf of shame. And boy, has there been some activity on there in the past two weeks. The count is down to 169, down eight games. Down eight. Wow. Eight. That's, that's measurable. That's actually something that's measurable and and not just I, a blip on the radar, right? I even made you I even made you play a game that wasn't on your list. I know. And that's not even listed here. We didn't even put it, we didn't have room for it. So that's the thing today. Time. Eight games. We're gonna try to review like, I don't know, five or six today, so good luck if we yeah. can make it. I don't know if we can keep a review to under twenty <laughs> minutes. We haven't even started talking about games yet. I know. Uh, 
I know. We are uh, not having a special segment. We're just doing reviews today. So let's get started with what I did add to the collection. I got a really good deal on Lorenzo Il Magnifico, uh, which we also played. And we're going to save that review for a little bit later. We played that with Matthew Hawker, who was on the show, I believe, episode 15. We're probably going to try to get him back on the show and have him uh, discuss his thoughts along with us as well. Also, no guarantees. We just volunteered him. <laughs> yeah, we volunteered him. We think that he'll be fine with that. Now he's set. He's got a, he's got a yeah, show now. Well, now, he, now he's got to do it. We put it on the air on an official podcast that we're recording. So so I got Lorenzo El Magnifico to the table with you guys. Played nine total. Jamaica is another one. This is a very fun, straightforward racing game. Uh, very simple iconography, uh, unique action selection. Basically, you roll two dice, and then you have three cards that you can play. You use one of the dice for a day action, one of them for a night action, and you're basically moving your boat back and forth and collecting different resources and uh, gold to eventually score you points. So it's a, a race with some extra steps thrown in there. There's a little bit of combat. Really pretty unique game. I hadn't seen anything with quite similar mechanics out there. So I saw your post on it. That one looked like really fun with more players. So I guess yes. we'll be getting that out, yep. won't we? Yeah, I, I did play a solo variant. I would like to teach it and play it soon because I, I think it's something that a lot of people can grasp pretty easily, and it does seem like it's going to be a lot of fun with more players. It wasn't bad solo either. Definitely looking forward to getting that one out. Uh, Runebound was the next game that I got out solo, and this is a adventuring game. You're resolving checks and combat, and you're improving your character to fight the big bad guy at the end of the game. It, it was very similar in overall feel to Mage Knight, which doesn't mean anything to you because you haven't played it, no, Justin. No, but I've heard of it more games. It's so good. It's I've so heard good. of This was much simpler to learn than that. Definitely would be much easier to teach. The kind of gimmick and the hook behind this was the fact that you used uh, pogs for combat. Uh, you had mm, these dual-sided... Like actual decks? Pogs, like the, well, but I mean, like actual dexterity game. Oh, um, or you're just flipping them, basically. Oh, okay, okay. So, so you're just I gotcha. flipping a bunch of them in the air. They're dual sided. Each side has an action uh, that you can take during combat. So, so a, a coin toss as opposed to pogs, maybe. Yeah, but you're building up the coins that you're using. So you're coin, changing coin, out your coin builder, coin dozer builder. No, it was uh, it was definitely interesting. Uh, it was released in 2016. It had an older feel to it. You know, better story than Mage Knight, in in my opinion. You got more flavor to what was going on. Mage Knight, either I didn't care or I didn't notice the story as much. I just really <laughs> liked the gameplay. Well, I need to play both of these because I enjoy adventure games. I think Runebound would be right up your alley for sure. Nice. Um, Mage Knight, we'd have to take a day at least to sit <sighs> oh down my. and get you okay. caught up on that. Probably won't be able to find this one in stores uh, because it is out of print by Fantasy Flight, but it is something that if you can get your hands on it or at least find a friend who has a copy of it, 
definitely check that one out. The next two games I got out with Phil, who we haven't heard from uh, since episode two on the show, but he's been super busy and with everything else going on, we finally uh, got some time to get to the table and I was able to get War Chest and In the Hall of the Mountain King out with him. I'm going to save those because I believe that he will be on the show at some point in the near future. So if I not, do I'm going to play him then. Yes, yes, you have to play both of them. That's all I'm going to say. And then the last four we're going to try to get to on our Rapid Fire Review segment. That is Timeline American History, the Jumping Frog game. Is that really the name of it? Yes, it's literally the Jumping Frog game. Okay. Mafia Casino and Tang Garden. So all of those we're looking to talk about on the back uh, half of the show. Fingers crossed that we can do this quick. We're already 20 minutes in and we haven't talked about, we haven't reviewed a game yet. We are, so let's get into that right now. Do it. The first thing that we're going to review is Die of the Dead, two to five players, 30 to 50 minutes, designed by Mark Stockton Pitt. Artist is Rusimbel and published by Radical 8 Games. Uh, players take the roles of friendly spirits guiding souls from Michlatan, the world of the dead, to the land of the living. They'll do this by choosing one of four caskets, which give them different actions. Actions range from placing dice in a casket and rolling them to gaining special ability tokens and ultimately placing dice on the stairs, leading back to the land of the living. The player who ascends nine souls or dice first wins so justin i know you've got some thoughts on this one uh why don't you get started yeah i'm i I have trouble putting them to words but i mean it is really cool looking game i saw you pulling out all these components i'm like oh yeah this is gonna be like you got dice with skulls on them and these caskets and a stairway to heaven and, and it's all the artworks on it's amazing and i don't know Maybe it just didn't live up to my own personal hype watching you pull it out, but I was I was kind of underwhelmed. It was a clever idea and mechanics. Like, I can't think of anything to compare it to. These little caskets that you move the dice through until you could ascend them. It was pretty interesting. I would say that as far as a mechanism goes, I don't know of anything that really has the same thing that's going on here. Yeah, so I yeah. definitely give them credit for that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I would just I I just don't think it was it seems like there's more potential there and it didn't pan out, at least to my to my expectations. Again, it had a lot of uh, secret. Well, it's there's a lot of hidden information. That's that's Mm -hmm. the words I'm looking for. Your dice were hidden in the casket. So you had to keep track of who's or where and things are constantly moving. So unless I was really paying close attention, I totally lost what was where. And then because of that, my our actions just seemed like totally arbitrary. Like I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to do this because I don't know. I think something's there and I'd be wrong half the time. Maybe that's my fault. I don't know. Also, you were limited to just four choices of actions, which didn't give me like, I don't know. Again, I don't know what to say about it. It's just something bothered me with it. I didn't have a, do I want more actions? I don't know. Maybe that'd make it more complicated. But each of the actions you would choose had just this cascade and series of actions that you then had to like remember and keep track of. Well, I I think one of the things that you're trying to say, and and I felt this too, was you had limited actions, but they almost felt pre-planned for you. Like you you knew 
which ones you were going to do. It wasn't like, oh, I could do this, I could load this up, or I could go and I could do this. And either one could be really good for me. It was almost like predeterministic, I'm going to do this in this round. Yeah. And am yeah. I kind of on the right track? With I that? think I'm going to say yes. I wonder why I'm here because I can't review beer or games. <laughs> I just spout things off and then you put words to it. But then, you know, whatever. I guess some people are listening. So, no, I think that I think that sums it up very well. Yeah, I just kind of like I just pick one of the four and I say, OK, and then a bunch of things happen. So I didn't feel like it was in my control. And I was constantly referring to the cards in front of them to, to remember what did what, because, you know, again, the order of all the things mixed together, it's like, I'm not, I just can't keep track of it all. And I think the, the last thing there is, is that when I saw you getting close to the end there, there was no way to stop you. It was like, oh, no, mm -hmm. you're just going to run away with this and I can't do a thing about it. Maybe if I remembered exactly where your dice were at the right time early enough that there was, I think there was like one of those options where if your dice were sitting there, I could have possibly eliminated some of them, but the odds were not in my favor for that. So mm -hmm. yeah, once I saw you winning, I looked at the table and I'm like, nope, it's done. I can't stop you. And that was that. Yeah, I could, I could definitely see that. I could see that feeling of this is going to happen and there's no way of really stopping it. Maybe I wasn't, you know, again, maybe I wasn't paying close enough attention to the game could have been on me but that would mean that this game has a pretty high bar for entry i would say because we played it with the third player who was a light gamer and they were not engaged <laughs> so yeah i i would say a lot of the same things that you did i i really enjoyed the 3d components mm. uh with the stairs and the caskets and everything the artwork is very beautifully done I loved it. I thought that it was very attractive and it was something, I mean, it got you kind of very interested when I pulled it out Oh yeah. the first game day that we had and you're like, oh, I'm going to miss out on this. I, I think it has that feeling and that table presence. And again, the, the components are gorgeous on it. Very good quality. Uh, no complaints there. I think the one thing that people need to know going into this game is that it's very very memory intensive. Mm -hmm. So the way that I kind of overcame that, because, you know, some my, my memory is certainly not what it used to be. The way that I kind of overcame that was trying to keep my dice in the same relative containers. So I, I chose like two or three containers that I was trying to move into the spots to ascend my dice. There is an open information variant. I think I want to try that before getting rid of this game because I do think that might help where it's more strategic, where you know where everybody's stuff is, takes that memory aspect out of it. And, and that might totally change the strategy then too because then I'd feel like, again, yeah. now I can make an informed decision. Yeah, and, and I will echo your concerns about constantly having to refer to the placards that were in front of the coffins and trying to know what each of the uh, different actions was. I definitely had to refer to them pretty much the entire game, mm -hmm. which normally in, in most games, you do it a couple of times and you're good. And, and I knew what the fourth one was and the first one, but the because two in between, I was like... <laughs> 
Yeah. Yeah. It's just because there was such a series of actions. It was you do this, there then was. you do that, then maybe you do this, and then, you know, you had some wild yeah. card tokens you could throw out there too and such. If this, then that. Yeah. To also give them kudos, they did uh, hire at least one cultural consultant on this game. You know, so they really wanted to evoke the feel of Day of the Dead and, and do the culture justice as well. I think I think they did all that very well. I, I mean, again, it looks beautiful and and it, it fit the theme. I thought it at definitely least, did. You know. Yep, I have seen some bantering back and forth online about it. I think you're always going to have that, I but they did at will. least they did at least try to you know involve cultural consultants. And uh, again, it's not my culture, but I think that they at least made an attempt to get uh, things right. So final judgment is wait and see. <laughs> I really do want to try to get that, even though it's a variant, I do want to get that open information variant out to the table because I do think that that will change the game up. Again, it's it's not going to be as physically attractive on the table, but I do think that that would improve the gameplay. Just how much? We don't know. That's why we have to play it, but we do plan on on getting that out to the table at some point. So that was Die of the Dead. Well, stay tuned because in this next segment, we are going to have more reviews for you. Stay tuned. And we're back with our review rapid fire. Well, these are games that Justin and I got to the table this past weekend and wanted to talk about all of them. Going to try to do this very quickly. So we're going to start we out. Got, uh, we got 30 minutes to go. Can we do it? How many we got? Three, four games? Yeah, we got we got a few. We got a few. Okay. Let's, we'll be let's able do to it. do it. All right. So we're going to start off with Timeline American History. From 2014, two to eight players, 15 minutes, designed by Frederick Henry, artist Xavier Collette, and Nicholas Fructus by Asmodee. So in Timeline, players have a hand of five cards. Play them one at a time to try to put them in the correct date order and a growing timeline. If you're correct, card stays in the timeline. If not, you have to draw a new card. And the first player to empty their hand wins. It's a perfectly serviceable game uh, from my standpoint. I have a, a few others in the series that I've enjoyed well enough. They're fine. You know, I, I think where this would really shine is with its counterparts with parents to try to teach the timeline of the subject material. So for this, it was American history. There's an Americana version. There's a uh, inventions version. So I think that they're very, very good teaching games. As far as like a strategy game, there's not a whole lot there to it's it other bit. than there is a bit. The one thing that I do try to do is to uh, play very close events that you kind of know the timeline of so that your opponents have a harder time placing theirs. And get, get the hard ones out of the way. Yep, you get the hard ones out. And then you just give your opponents enough slack so that they might goof up some of the order. So I think that worked for you a couple of times. <laughs> it did work for me a couple of times. But it's, it's nothing earth shattering, just very small. So, Justin, what did you think? Yeah, huge, huge first player advantage yes but no i'm yes. not i'm not gonna i'm not gonna i'm not gonna say anything bad about this game actually it, it, it is exactly what it is i'd play this with kids and as far as i can tell i see no reason you can't shuffle like multiple series together because they have a rule for if the dates overlap 
for my sake, I think that prevent like memorization. I got a feeling if I played it a few times, my brain would start clicking and it'd be really hard to catch me wrong on it. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna compare this to any heavy strategy game. It's exactly what it is. I think it's a good, you know, slightly bit of learning game um, that you can play with family or kids, and it doesn't need to be anything more than that. So yeah, it's just fine. So I think for my final judgment on this game, I do think that it might be time to let it have a better home along where with its uh, counterparts so that it would see some more time on the table and be a little bit more well-loved. So I'm going to put this offer out there. Any parents out there that would like them to teach their kids, I do have three of them. If you want to make arrangements and are willing to pay shipping, I'll let you have all three of them. Just contact cardboardtime at gmail.com and we'll make arrangements. So I, I would like them to have a better home. They're not bad games whatsoever. They're just not really something that I'm gonna get out around here, so. Your kids will not play cards. They will just chew on them. Yes, my chinchillas will. We'll just chew on them and look at them and and poop, and that's mm-hmm. about it. Lots of that. Hmm. So up next is the Jumping Frog game from 2000. This can play just about any number of players that you wanted. I would keep it relatively low. You know, it, it's basically like a five-minute game, if that. Uncredited design, uncredited artist, published by Coplo Games. Kaplau or Kaplau? Kaplau. Oh, yeah. God, how could I screw that up? Uh, Kaplau Games. In the Jumping Frog game, your objective is to have the longest jump. Basically, jumps are frogs, which are dice with the ones replaced by little frogs, times the other values of the dice. You get five dice, and basically, however many frogs you get, times the pips that are remaining, and that's your score. You can roll again as long as you set aside one of the frogs, and then you basically go until you uh, bust. I think it's up to a maximum of three rolls. Pass the dice to your opponent or opponents, and 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 just repeat. That's it. That's all you're doing. Yep. So, I mean... We knew we were in trouble when the rules referred to us as the children. Yeah, when when your when your rule book refers to the players as the children. Yeah, yeah. You know, so you're in I, it's for just some fun. it's a simple dice game. It's an activity. They missed the chance to add a little bit of decision making of like press your luck, and they didn't. And so it's just one hundred percent random. And there it is. Yep. I can't yep. add anything. Yeah, yep. that's why I'm being silent. That's <laughs> that's your comment. Because, I mean, we knew we knew that coming in. You just needed to take one more off of the count. Oh, exactly. That was an easy one to take off the count. It was a gift from somebody else. So you know, it was like, oh, it's got frogs on it. You need it, and so we played it, and that's now right. it's done. And you know what? You're gonna keep it. Because it's got frog dice on it. I am going to keep it. It's a set of frog dice. And, I mean, you can play very simple dice games with them. And now you've got dice that have frogs on the ones. And it doesn't take up any room. So I'm not saying to go out and buy it tomorrow by any means. But I'm just keeping it for the frog dice. And that's it. Our reviews are terrible. That's one off the list. Final judgment. I'm keeping this game. But it's not good. (laughs) I'm just keeping it. Next song. 
next song. Next song. Mafia Casino from yeah. 2012. Yeah. Two to five players, 40-minute game designed by Simon Duquette and Eric Raymond. Artists Alan Fortin and Stephanie Gunthier. Published by, I don't know, Boyt DeJou? Boyt DeJou? Boyt DeJou. Boyt DeJou? I do not. I can't pronounce it's French, French words properly. French-Canadian. Maybe it was his publishing can- in French Canada. That might have been. That'd be interesting. This, the, it is a Canadian game. Wow, I can confirm cool. that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Players build hotels, casinos, and restaurants in order to attract clients to their growing resorts while buying and selling pearls and diamonds, performing less than savory business tactics to enter their opponents, and gambling. First player to $30 million wins. So I think that this uh, being a casino game is kind of, you know, had a soft spot for you. Mm-hmm. Tell me what you thought. I used to be very heavily into uh, casino gaming back in the day, so this was kind of a natural pickup for me. You know, not so much anymore. I've kind of retired from that lifestyle, but I, I can tell you that this is a Canadian game because it was originally printed in French on the back, and there's stickers covering up the French words in awesome. English, and there's a big made in Canada on the back. So exactly where in Canada, I'm figuring it's somewhere in Quebec, but I could be wrong. You know, who knows? So I I actually bought this on a work trip to Napanee, Ontario, when I saw it on a clearance rack, and that was back in 2015. A small game game store up in uh, Kingston, Ontario. Beautiful, beautiful place, by the way. If anybody's looking for a fun little trip, Kingston, Ontario is certainly a fantastic place. Nice town and nice game store. I wish we could remember the name of the game store. It's been a few years. It's it's been six years since I bought this there. But I saw it and I'm like, yeah, why not? You know, that was during the days of my very heavy acquisition and like zero play stuff. (laughs) You know, so... I'm like, yeah, yeah, why not uh, Why not pick that up? It's a nice souvenir. I like the individual base idea of the game. So the individual base idea of the game is you're building up these casinos, hotels, and restaurants, kind of like your resort. You're, you're building up these different rooms and attractions within... Um, you know, the casino and the restaurant and uh, the hotel and everything. And then you play these client cards, which help you score those. So basically building them doesn't necessarily do anything for you, but then playing the client cards on them will get you money. The sabotage cards that they have, I could kind of see to add some take that elements in there, get the friendly rivalry going, also fine. I think where things kind of go off the rails is adding in two elements. One is something that we didn't even touch, which was buying and selling. Oh, actually, we did. Uh, yeah. One of us. I don't know if we ever sold. executed on it, though. <laughs> yeah. I think you bought pearls and diamonds. Yeah. But I never got to sell them. But you never got I to sell them. Totally lost out on that. And then there's casino gaming as well there's three different game types there's like a slot machine mini game there's a roulette mini game and then there's a poker mini game you you can do like one thing a turn you're either building one of your three aspects of your resort or you're sabotaging something or you're playing casino games 
or you're going in and buying and selling these um, Tra- trading you know, gemstones trading yeah. gemstones i feel like if it had been constrained down to like that core mechanism and maybe developed on that a little bit i think that that would have been a much better game when you add in all that stuff it just seems like too much randomness you got all these cards that are doing different things you could have a very heavy quantity of you know casino gaming something else or you could have a huge spread and not really be able to optimally do anything that you really want so it's it just seemed way too random to me the artwork is also very eh, eh. yeah it, it's that typical like 2012 generic artwork i could take or leave it i will say very nice casino chips which was a nice touch for a casino game i yep. think like you said, you almost have to have that in a casino game. Yeah. I mean, that, that was nice. Real chips. Nice weight to them. Can't complain about that. So, Justin, I'm going to give it over to you. I think it's going to be about the same take. To me, it just had all that feel of like a pre-2000 like garage sale pickup. I don't know. Maybe that's rude. <laughs> but despite that, though, it really wasn't that bad. I mean, you know, there's nothing wowing me at the start. You know, that artwork didn't dry in. It was basic but it had some things happening so i don't know maybe you know maybe i come in with low expectations i get you know i was looking for things there but i thought that just having those different kind of winning paths was you know kind of a decent idea but like you say it's just is a little too much especially since all those extra options were random i think they kind of detract from the main engine building aspect all the gambling and stuff i think they gave you options to do if you couldn't do what if you really couldn't build effectively i guess but also maybe you couldn't build effectively just because you had all these other cards in your hand too right due to that though the hand management was kind of different and i thought that was kind of neat you had to balance like do i save these cards for another turn do I play them? And then you had cards you had to spend in addition. You had to spend so many cards to play certain cards. And you ha- kind of had to weigh that out. So that was kind of, there's a lot of promise there. Uh, the sabotage, take that cards. Yeah, they seem too costly to be worthwhile. So I don't even think we actually executed on those at all. So th- there's something going on here, but it's just something's missing, right? I mean, I don't hate it. I, I wouldn't get it out to play again, but there's potential and it could have it could become something with some work. And I will echo that statement of the cards have multiple purposes. So I did now that I think about it, I really did kind of enjoy that where they're a currency poker card and there's something that you can play to kind of build that engine. So I would say for my final judgment, it was way too random for me. It felt to me with our game design experience, it felt to me like a prototype that needed some more play testing. One thing that really sticks with me is a comment. I can't remember who made it, but it really stuck with me and it was find the fun. Where's the fun in this game? And I think the fun really is in that building your resort. They could have had a couple of things go on with that, but they really needed to trim some of the extra out. I think if we had more time, it would be an interesting game to take a look at and see what we would do as an exercise to maybe improve it. I'd like to see somebody take the mechanics and the idea and and build something bigger out of it. So... Are we out of time? No, I think no. I think we're good for one we're more. We're going to cram this last one in here. Okay. Yeah, so that was Mafia Casino. And finally, we're going to talk about Tang Garden. Uh, That's a big one. In- 
2020, and it is a big one. One to four players, 40 to 60 minutes, designed by Francesco Testini and Pierluca Zizi. The artist is Matthew Mizak and published by Thundergriff Games. Uh, in Tang Garden, players are collectively building a garden in the first golden age of China. On their turns, they will either lay a garden tile or place a decoration. As they do this, they will increase their personal nature balance, which leads to attracting new characters into the garden. These characters provide the potential for either changing a player's special ability or providing a specific scoring opportunity by putting the symbols that the character prefers into the garden and in their line of sight. The player with the most points at the end of the game wins. So, Justin, what did you think? Well, I think it's... I think we're both going to reiterate this many times. It's beautiful. I mean, what neat components, what a neat idea they took... They took an idea and turned it into a game, like this concept of building the garden and placing mm-hmm. things in the right places and I guess using the views of different characters and stuff to see what they are looking at. That, that is neat. And all the components are high quality and it looks awesome. That said, I have these really high expectations for this game and it, and it let me down a little bit. So I don't know, maybe at this point it's just my expectations are the problem because <laughs> it seems to be every game on today's episode either i thought it looked terrible and it was okay or it looked awesome it, and i wasn't it looked about, awesome i, I don't know it was like ah. yeah it had a lot of very specific rules we played this with the third player who's a light gamer and i think they just got burnt out real quick because there's just too much going on and even despite that between you and me there were so many symbols and so many similar symbols mm-hmm. boy it was tough to keep track of what it has a lot of mechanics going on too. And the ones I really liked are the special powers you got for your characters that you collected. And then you had to decide if you're going to plant one of them in the garden or you're going to keep them for their special power. That was a neat mechanic. And the placement of them was important because you want them to look at the things they like. And that was really cool. Well, and the fact that you had to make the decision when you acquired somebody else. Mm -hmm. So somebody else you were attracting, now you got to figure out, do I want to save that original initial special power or do I want to switch over to this one? And which scoring condition is going to benefit me? And then how do I place them? And then how do I build out to kind of maximize my points with them? Oh, that was cool. That was really cool. Yeah, and you couldn't just place them whenever you wanted either so you had to make those decisions and that that was that was nice the other another big part of the mechanic though is it's like a tile placement very similar like carcassonne problem is is now i love carcassonne and not everyone does but when i'm playing carcassonne and you put down a tile anytime you're connecting something you're feeling like this little bit of joy or excitement right And with this one, boy, I did not feel that. When I'm placing tiles, I was like, ugh, I guess that's the best I can do. You know, and I don't know how to distinguish between those two cases, but I just wasn't feeling it when I did. And then tile placement and scoring was a little bit weird. Like we had to refer to the rules frequently and we weren't ever 100% sure we were doing it right either. So, you know, that said, yeah, beautiful components. The best looking components of it were the walls of the garden. And they weren't really central to the gameplay either, though. They make for nice photographs, though, because you can mm-hmm. get in there low with your camera and look across the garden. And yeah, again, it's, it's gorgeous. But uh, maybe there's just too much going on. 
And I think the symbols could be improved a little. I'd say make them bigger so you can see them easier, but then that covers up the artwork. But uh, maybe find a way to make them a little more different too. So I think that's kind of my assessment of it. Yeah, and and like you said, I don't think anybody is going to ever say that this is an ugly game. This is one of the most gorgeous games I've ever played, hands down. I mean, it's up there with Everdell. You know, it's up there with Takedo. The artwork on it is absolutely extravagant and astounding. And the artwork on the tiles, the scenery tiles, like you were mentioning, in combination with the physical components and the artwork, the pagodas and the uh, trees and the bridges that you were putting up, I, uh, it just makes for a, a gorgeous game. Do yourself a favor. If you haven't seen pictures of Tang Garden, I do have one up on my Instagram, which I'll shout out at the end of the show. But just go on Google or go on Board Game Geek and look up pictures of this game because it, it's a, a visual masterpiece. It really is. That said, I do think that there was a point where the visuals started to interfere with the symbology. Yeah. And design decisions were made in favor of the visuals, you know, that really kind of interfered with the clean symbology of being able to very quickly assess the game state and make educated, good judgment decisions on what you were playing. It made for some very difficult to match tiles. Like I wasn't quite sure on a lot of them. Is this a forest area? Is this a rock area? Is this a pathway area? We had some debate about that, yeah. I can excuse that from happening on like one or two tiles usually, but when it happens like all the time and it's very frequent, it starts to make it very difficult and unenjoyable. The elements themselves aren't heavy once you figure out exactly what was going on. The rules videos themselves too were like, you know, 15, 20 minutes long. There's a lot of concepts, but none of them are very heavy concepts. It's just, hey, tile placement, place these decorations. These decorations have to go on these spaces, you know, and there's a couple other concepts that weren't super heavy. There were just a lot of them. A lot. Yeah, a lot to keep track of. And Justin, you mentioned the symbology on there as well. There were a lot of symbols that were also kind of overlapping. Mm -hmm. So very similar. Uh, One was like one building and then another one was two buildings. And then one was another one different building. Yeah, there were like three building symbols and they were all very close. You had to look back and forth frequently. I know that that slowed you down a lot. It did. Yeah, so Just because of the luck of draw on your characters, not, not for right, any other reason. Yeah. Right. So you're trying to optimize those, those placements, and I felt that I had a hard time doing that. You get extra, basically, uh, the, the nature points that I was talking about and achieving that, that increased balance. The more you move up that track, the more benefits that you're going to have, the more of these uh, characters that you're going to unlock and more point opportunities. And basically, closing things off becomes very important. You have a lot of these tiles that's like, well, is this a singular enclosed off area? Like on its own? You know, if I put this this way, does this close this off? Like, I I don't know. And it was a, it was legitimately debatable whether 
that was the case or not. And again, it came up frequently. It wasn't just a one-off item. I think if you were going to play it a lot and everybody started to figure out the design intent of the artist, I think you'd be fine. But for Mm -hmm. our introductory game, that was a struggle. And we didn't go so far as to find very specific examples on YouTube or something, you know. But I mean, so it's that's not an insurmountable problem, but it made a high learning curve. I will say going back into the rule book, some of the questions I had on the characters, like how many symbols are there for scoring and things like that, those are addressed. It just wasn't explicitly stated like, here's how we're denoting this and here's the symbology behind it. So for people who are going to be a little bit intimidated by a very heavy symbology laden game, this might be one to stay away from. I will say that once we got going and I started to understand everything, other than the issues of tile placement and everything, I thought the game was pretty mechanically sound. I've got no complaints about that, but... Again, I I really, I wanted to like this so much because it's such a beautiful game, but it it was very often difficult to see these symbols. It might uh, make it close to impossible to get uh, to the table with a lighter gamer. So I haven't made up my mind on this yet. I I do think... (laughs) Yeah, I, you know, after, after we played... My original intent was, I don't think I'm going to be able to keep this. And the more that I thought about it, the more that I do want to keep it. I do want to make an effort to play it with Allie and teach her and see if she can pick it up. Because it is such a gorgeous game, I like the concept of it. And I like, other than the interference of the execution, I love the artwork on it. So we, we got to give it another shot. Our, our, fi- our final decisions on this episode are very... Very lacking. vague. <laughs> very vague. We've got a couple of them that were defined on, but, you know, it it it's down to, hey, these are our thoughts, and maybe we'll revisit them on a later show, but this is what we're thinking right now. So we got, we've got one game we hated that you're keeping, because it has frogs, and <laughs> we got two games that underwhelmed us, but we're keeping because we want to try them again. And yeah. <laughs> well, well, Mafia Casino, I'm not keeping. Yeah, yeah. That, that could become something else, but it, it would, you'd have to, someone would have to make a different game out of it. Yes. It, yes. It, on its own, exactly. it, it, it's not salvageable, but. So that was our rapid fire review segment. Uh, again, that's kind of. It didn't feel something. rapid. <laughs> It didn't feel rapid. Well, we got it done in like half an hour. I'm wow. pretty proud of that. I think yeah. we're on time. Yeah, we might be able exactly. to close. We might be able to wrap this up. We will have a lot more games coming up. There's going to be a little bit of turmoil in the next few weeks um, in my life. I've got a couple of things going on. So after this, things might be a little sporadic, but we'll see. Fair warning. Uh, if I do miss an episode, it'll be because I'm taking a little bit of time off for personal reasons. But, you know, hopefully that won't be uh, that won't be more than like a week or so. But, so. but on the positive note... On a positive note, I do have Americon coming up, and that pretty much means nothing to the majority of you listeners out there. Nope. Um, Americon is kind of like my personal friends convention that we run every 4th of July holiday. 
Uh, we do get together and play games and chat and grill and got the smoker this year that I can uh, get some pulled pork going. So I'm very excited about that. And that's usually when I can get a, a good amount of games to the table. And considering that I got two more shipping notices today, it couldn't come fast enough. Um, it just started to make progress. Yeah, I know. And then I get two emails in one day. Hey, here you go. Here's more stuff. You know, fortunately, they're smaller games, so they should be easier to get to the table. Maybe we'll have to do more rapid fire reviews and get all that yeah. backlog out of the way. Yeah, get it done and over with. But there will be a, a large amount of gaming content and reviews coming up. Um, you just might have to be a little patient with me getting uh, getting it to you. So anyways, I think that's going to do it for the show. Uh, make sure to check out our Facebook page. Take a look at our Instagram and Twitter at cardboard underscore time. Yeah, I have an Instagram at jphomer98. And look at that for all the latest and greatest Lego content, miscellaneous yeah, stuff going on. on. I got so much Lego content that's not posted. You, you really do. You got to catch up on that. I you do. got a few games to get up on, on mine uh, as well. So take a look at our Board Game Geek podcast page and any questions, suggestions, or ideas for discussion topics, make sure to email them to cardboardtime at gmail.com. And as always, thanks again for listening, and we'll see you again in two weeks for another episode of Cardboard Time. 